0: Father God, as we, um, as we hear from your word today, hear it read and preached, uh, please soften our hearts by your spirit um, that we would uh, hear the words, that we would take them in, that we would um, receive the light that you shine into our darkness in the person of Jesus, uh, that you would um, yeah, soften our hard hearts and, and help us to believe what we hear uh, at the deepest level. We pray that you would transform us by its truths, uh, for your glory, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. John twelve thirty
1: seven to 50. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfil the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say.
0: It's <clears throat> lovely to be back with you. We had a, a great time away. Thanks for those who were praying for us, but uh, great to be back uh, together under God's Word, isn't it? Um, well, uh, most of us, if we've sort of had um, the TV on at all or been reading the papers, you'll know something about the most, one of the most dramatic stories in the last few months um, of the 12 boys and their coach, the soccer team, you know, the guys who were trapped in this long winding cave system over in Thailand. Um, it was um, such a dramatic story, wasn't it? And it was so dramatic partly because it was so hopeless when they found these guys. Um, uh, they'd been there nine days uh, and with apparently barely any food. Um, they were kilometres into this vast cave system and if you've sort of... Um, I think there was something on telly the other night about it, um, but just the the kind of... Treacherous, narrow, winding caves that you had to go through to get to them. Um, it was just so um, intense, and in a way, really hopeless. Um, uh, the floodwaters were rising up. You, most of us, will know the story, and all of it in the complete darkness of um, these deep caves that have no natural light in them. Uh, anyone who's been caving. You know, that, that usually we've got this kind of natural light that, you, know, that, or at some kind of light that comes from the glow of the city or something in the, in the background. But if you're in one of these, nat- these deep caves, there's no light whatsoever. Um, this complete darkness. Apparently, the water they had to swim s- through was so thick that um, it was just like soup, the torches didn't help them. There's this real thick darkness real darkness like that is uh, it can be a really terrifying thing right a disorienting thing apparently it's a bit of a uh, a thing for people who do get stuck in caves that they have no idea how much time has passed or very little idea because it's just very disorienting down there some you'll come out having really no clue what day it is or how much sort of time has gone past it makes you confused about which way to go Well, darkness and light, this idea of darkness, is one of those really striking images that the Bible uses to help us understand what's going on spiritually with people. Help us understand what's going on spiritually. And if you've been uh, with us as we've read through John's Gospel so far, um, perhaps you'll um, remember we've seen it before, Jesus in John chapter 8... Uh, if you remember that scene with Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, he cries out, I am the light of the world. Um, at, outside the temple with these big torches blamings, blazing. Uh, but he says, I am the light of the world. We've seen this whole imagery of darkness and light. We've seen how Jesus returns to it, and we're going to see that again today. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll jump into that in a moment, but it's just important to see how all of this fits into um, the whole of John's Gospel, the whole story of John's Gospel. Um, uh, there'll be some slides coming up, and we, um, uh, again, if you were with us when we were in John's Gospel, way back, uh, we looked at these. But I just thought it might be helpful, because there's quite a few of us here who weren't there then, to have a very brief kind of overview of John, uh, of the whole Gospel. There's a bit of detail here, but you just kind of get the big picture, all right? You don't need to worry about too much about all the details. Um, Uh, So it it, uh, opens up in this great chapter about Jesus Christ, who is the eternal word, who makes God known. It's a bit of an introduction. And the whole book um, of John is really split up into two major chunks. This chunk between chapter 2 and chapter 12, which people call the book of signs, where this word of God, Jesus, shows his glory. Um, as the Messiah, the Son of God, through these signs, and we'll get to those in a moment. Um, The second half of the book, people call the Book of Glory, where this word is glorified in his death and resurrection. More on that soon. And then there's a bit of a conclusion at the end. Um, If you've been with us again all, all the way through, hopefully these things will be familiar. John picks out these seven signs. He says at the end of his book, uh, that Jesus did so many things that you couldn't have enough room in the whole world to fit them in uh, but these are just seven that he's chosen they're like these signposts that point to who Jesus is uh, turning water into wine clearing the temple healing an official's son healing a lame man feeding 5,000 people is huge or more than that 5,000 men but you know, 15,000 people healing the blind man raising Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11, all these incredible miracles that John says are science. Um, he fills us in, and if you wanted to note anything down from this little intro, bit, this is probably the bit. He fills us in. The good thing about John's gospel, he tells us at the end of his book exactly why he was writing. So John chapter 20, verse 31 Now Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's picked out these seven signs and he's written them down so that people would believe. They'd follow the sign. There's a bit of a sign post, the Jesus signs. The important thing about signs, all right, is not that you spend your time gazing at the signs, but you follow where they point. You follow where they lead. All these things are pointing somewhere, pointing to Jesus. Um, We're at a really interesting moment in John's Gospel as we pick it up again. Um, uh, We're at the end of chapter 12, and um, from this point on, everything kind of narrows down. So if you go to the next slide, this book of glory, we'll we'll get more into it um, over coming weeks. We've got a few more weeks in John. There's a few other things happening, and then we'll pick it up again later on. Um, But everything kind of narrows down in this last half. The first half of John's Gospel goes for a few years this second half is all within a few days. The first half is all these public signs, things that Jesus has done. The second half, Jesus really narrows down and he just focuses in on his close followers. And you get these long conversations that, between Jesus and his followers that are going to be really good for us to soak ourselves in over the coming weeks. And it all leads to, narrows down to, the moment that the whole gospel is driving towards, Jesus' death and resurrection. So this moment in John's gospel that we're up to, if you, um, you can see on the next slide there. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, keep flicking through the next one. Um, this moment that John's... Uh, oh, did you see that slide, by the way? Or was that... No, go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the kind of narrowing down. But then if you flick to the next one... Um, uh, you can see John twelve there. This passage we're up to it fits right in the middle of this book, kind of transitions into this second half. It's a really significant one. Uh, it's significant because these verses really finish off what Je- Jesus' public ministry. They bring to bring it to an end, and it's kind of like an appeal from Jesus. It's a bit of an appeal before he turns his attention in the rest of this gospel before the cross. He turns his attention just to his disciples. He really pours himself into this little group. It's significant here, this passage, because it's this, he, he wraps up his public ministry with this appeal. Um, it's good for all of us to hear. As we go on the next few weeks, um, we'll see Jesus really does, as I said, Um, talk specifically to those who are trusting in Christ. It would be good for everyone to listen to that, but this passage is particularly relevant, Um, especially for those of us who are not yet trusting in Jesus. Um, This is for you. It's an appeal that is driven by God's love and leads to life and light and joy. So let's hear it. John chapter 12, we'll pick it up at verse 37. It's this picture, as you start, it's a bit of a surprising picture of unbelief. Um, And you can feel, you can kind of feel the frustration, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but the surprise of the, the writer here, of John, as he writes this, verse 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs... So many, you know, these seven incredible signs were just a, a drop in the ocean of what Jesus was doing publicly. Even after he'd performed so many signs in their presence, it wasn't just done in a in a cupboard somewhere. You know, this was in the, the sight of everyone. They still would not believe in him. So many signs, and yet, despite seeing them all, having them right in front of them, they would not believe in him. It's unbelievable, right? But it's sort of like I'm trying to think of what of um, an example of what it might be like. Um, let's see how this goes. Imagine this couple walks in right to church today. Just walks in the door, um, and they introduce themselves to you as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. And you think, "Hey, you, you look a little bit familiar." And then they go on, and you ask their name, and say, "Oh, I'm Harry." And the other, the lady says, "Oh, I'm Megan. And you think, oh, okay, so, I mean, they, they look pretty similar to Harry and Megan, but you assume they're like really good impersonators, or uh, perhaps a little bit um, delusional, and um, maybe they just need to calm down and have a nice cup of tea, right? Um, uh, but then you walk outside, and all of a sudden you're hit, the, the gym, uh, you know, we haven't noticed that we're in here, all of a sudden, while we've been in here, the gym is packed with paparazzi, right? There's... Cameras going and everywhere, you, and then you, you kind of make your way outside. Choppers are landing on, onto the grass. The Prime Minister rolls up, and uh, who's the newly elected member? Rebecca Sharkey's back in, I think. So she comes to, and everyone's here, and you, think, and you start to think, oh, hang on, all the signs are there. Maybe you maybe totally unexpected, not what we were thinking. Uh, maybe it really is. Harry and Meghan. Well... It's really a pale shadow of what's going on here in John's Gospel. Um, all the signs were there for Jesus that he was who he claimed to be. No one less than the eternal, Creator God entered into his creation. All the signs were there, but they still would not believe. And did you notice it says, would not This isn't a kind of fatalism, Uh, not just pre-programmed. People were confronted with Jesus and they consciously, deliberately decide not to believe in him. It's a real act of their will that they are responsible for. Well, John reflects on all this as we keep going, but he goes to this Old Testament book of Isaiah. And there's a lot that comes out here. It's really... Um, wonderful, actually, what John brings out. He quotes from Isaiah from this really key passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. Um, it's this wonderful um, reflection on, uh, in, within Isaiah. It looks ahead to Israel's Messiah, the coming of Israel's great king. Uh, and it says, who would be the arm of the Lord? This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It looks forward to this coming... What's the deal with that? The the whole arm of the Lord uh, is just... It's a poetic, prophetic way of talking about the strength of God in action. God's great power. But there's a twist in this passage Um, if you read on in Isaiah 53, and all of that's supposed to be in the background here, this arm, this great, the might of God in action, would be a servant. Not just a servant, but a servant who would suffer, who would, if you're familiar with the passage, it gets read out at Easter most weeks, and a servant who was despised and rejected, who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. So, this idea that God's mighty power, his arm, you know, you can imagine him rolling his sleeves up and flexing his muscles. God's mighty power would be revealed in a suffering servant. It's so unbelievable. So Isaiah says, who, who, has, who has believed this message? It has to be revealed to you. You wouldn't believe it otherwise. And John says that, that that moment, that moment that Isaiah was looking forward to is now here in Jesus. God's power is being displayed in Jesus, who is this ultimate servant who would give his life for his people. And it's just like Isaiah wrote. People would not believe. And at the same time, we've got to kind of switch on a bit here. Uh, At the same time, they could not believe. If you keep reading, verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere... He quotes from Isaiah 6, which I think uh, we looked at last week, is that right, or in the last few weeks? He quotes from Isaiah 6. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Now what's going on here? They would not believe, consciously, deliberately, responsibly, uh, this other sense in which they could not believe. Um, in, in this passage it comes from in Isaiah 6. Um, it's talking about a kind of hard, harden, what, I'll, what I'll call a hardening of judgment. Um, it's Isaiah or God commissioning Isaiah to go to the people and speak to them. And what would be the result of that would be that God, blind eyes, that, that God would blind the eyes of people who have already refused to see him. He would harden the hearts of those that have already turned away from him. It's like he confirms and hands over to people's responsible reject, rejection of him. He doesn't override their responsibility We all remain responsible for the decisions we make, including whether or not we believe in Jesus. And uh, if you've been with us, again, we've listened to Jesus' offer that remains for every person, right? Back in chapter 7, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. It's a genuine, real offer of Jesus to anyone. But for those who would not do that, who harden their hearts to Jesus, John says, at the same time, in a way that I can't quite get my head around completely, at the same time, there was a hardening of judgment that came from God himself on them. And that, again, was just what Isaiah had prophesied. But um, after all of that, John reflects on Isaiah and he says this incredible thing about what Isaiah looked at. Verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. This prophet in the Old Testament, he looked forward to this suffering servant, this one who would be rejected, rejected, who people would harden their hearts to and would be hardened towards. But he saw, Isaiah saw what was really going on. He didn't see just the suffering servant. He saw the suffering servant and in that he saw the arm of the Lord, the might and power of God at work to save his people. He saw Jesus' glory and he spoke about him. There's a bit of a twist as as we keep reading through. Um, Not everyone's heart was completely hard to Jesus as you, they, they, they were some who did believe they just had a fair way to go verse 42 yet at the same time many even among the leaders believed in him but because of the Pharisees there's this, this group within the leadership of Israel or this, a particular group in Israel um, because of the Pharisees they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue they sort of be cut off uh, from the life of the people and Check it out in verse 43. This is so interesting, isn't it? For they loved human praise more than praise from God. They believed in Him. There's no way that they would <laughs> say that, though, because they loved human praise more than the praise that comes from God. They, see, they joined the dots. They, followed, they could follow the signs, they could see it wasn't what I was expecting. For God's Messiah but all the, all the arrows are pointing the right direction with Jesus they follow the signs, they can join the dots they see who he is but they didn't see his glory like Isaiah did um, they didn't see him fully if they had they wouldn't they wouldn't have cared what the Pharisees thought of them frankly um, as, a, as it was the glory of other people's opinion was more precious to them than the glory of God. They didn't see clearly, but Jesus wants, Jesus wants them, he wants us to be crystal clear about who he is. That's what he goes on to say in verse 40, from verse 44. Then Jesus cried out. Whenever Jesus does that, you listen up, right? You know he's onto something important. He cries out. Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. That's such a huge claim, isn't it? This massive claim. If it was anyone but Jesus making it, it would be an arrogant claim, wouldn't it? But he's not being arrogant here. He's speaking the truth. He's, claim, he's claiming a kind of equality with God that is so profound, so deep, so all-encompassing that he can say that to look at him, to look at Jesus, is, is to see God. And you can see how wonderful this is as you keep reading on in verse 46. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. What Jesus was on about, it wasn't just him, uh, kind of, it's not just a random agent acting on his own, it's not a rogue agent, you know? just someone come to do some impressive things on his own authority. What Jesus is on about is the determined purpose and plan of the one true and eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And he fills us in on what that is. This is beautiful, right? What is this set purpose of God? To bring light. To bring light to this dark world. To rescue people out of their dark cave and bring them into his wonderful light. This is God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. The tragedy of this passage, though, friends, is that not everyone will believe in him. Jesus knows that. He talks about that. There will be those who actually prefer to stay in darkness who hear Jesus' words but reject them. Verse 47 If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. Um, Jesus here is talking about his, his first coming. We sung earlier about one day he will come again. Um, that's not what's in view here. In, in Jesus' first coming to the world, God's great plan and purpose was not to condemn it, to judge it, but to save it, to rescue it, to give light and life, not to judge. But as Jesus goes on, we find out, well, we actually find out that's not the end of the story. There is this judgment coming, a last day, when those who reject Jesus will face the consequence of that decision. Verse 48 There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them on the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus is saying, now is the time of salvation. God has put his mighty arm into action. In Jesus, God is working out his great plan of salvation for all humanity who are trapped in darkness. And to hear Jesus, to hear and believe in him, is to hear and believe in God and will lead you into light and eternal life But the necessary flip side of that reality is that to not believe in him, to reject his words, is to cut yourself off from that life, from life itself, and to put yourself under the condemnation of God, to stand condemned on that last day, still in spiritual darkness, cut off from light and from life. My well, friends, as I said at the start, Jesus. from this point on, Jesus really zones in. He focuses in on his own small group of disciples. Um, in a way, this is Jesus' kind of last... He, he, he goes public again on the cross, um, but until that this is kind of his last great public statement he cries out and says I'm here to give light if you'll just believe in me trust me follow me I will lead you safely out of your darkness to the light you were made for the light you need the light of the glory of God and so the, the kind of natural way to finish today, reflecting on this passage, is for each of us to have a bit of a moment of reflection ourselves. There's, there's numbers of us here um, who just maybe aren't sure of where we stand with God. It might be that you're kind of checking out Jesus. Uh, for the first time, maybe you're making a bit of a spiritual comeback um, after a bit of a time away from God. Uh, or maybe there's those of us here who uh, have been with us for a while in churches for a while but still have a kind of deep uncertainty well this is yes the perfect place for you and I'm so thankful you're here I really hope this is a place you can explore all of those things in a really open and welcoming way Um, what Jesus puts before all of us wherever we're at actually in this passage is the need for decision about him Um, to believe in him or to reject him. Uh, that That can take time. It can be a bit of a process and you may be at different points in that if you're not yourself trusting in Jesus. But it may be that for some here you know in your heart that today is today is actually a day of decision for you. You've you've heard Jesus word and God has stirred your heart and your mind and your will to trust him to come out of darkness to let him lead you into light to receive him as the great son of God who was bruised for your transgression who was himself crushed for your iniquity who willingly took the punishment your sin deserves on himself at the cross so that you could live all out of his great love for you. And if that's you, please don't quench that light that is starting to burn within you. See the glory of Jesus and come to him. We're going to sing a song soon. Maybe you could use that as an opportunity for yourself even for the first time in a real and deep way, to come to him, to see his glory. But it's interesting, isn't it, friends, that even those who have done that, who have believed in Jesus, um, you see this in this passage, don't you? you? can kind of still live that out in a fearful and half-hearted way. Um, can love the praise of people more than the praise of God. Well, uh, the antidote for that is it's actually just the same as for those who have yet to believe in him, Jesus. The antidote to that is, like Isaiah, to see the glory of Jesus, to see his glory, to see just how awesome he is. What a huge thing God has done in him, and is doing, and will do. The bigger place he has in your heart, the less room there's going to be for to... Hunger after the praise of people. He's the one who has come into the world. He is the one who has come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in him should stay in darkness. Let's pray. Oh God, reveal your glory. Show us Christ. Open the eyes of our hearts. Continue, we ask, Father, to bring people out of darkness and into your wonderful light. We thank you for the promise of the gospel that is held out here. We thank you for the work of your Spirit. We pray please to work in each of our hearts to draw us to yourself that we might put our faith in Christ by your sovereign power and by your grace. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.